You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Help me with my title this evening. Tell someone the title, The Christ of Christmas. The Christ of Christmas. Again, a very merry Christmas to everyone. Hopefully everyone, everyone's had a blessed Christmas day so far, opening up uh, gifts and celebrating with friends and family. I know my kids definitely enjoy tearing up uh, gift wrap and, and bringing out new toys for me to, clear, to clean up. But uh, thank, I, I know they had a lot of fun, especially Olivia. This was her first Christmas here in the world. So uh, in addition to this morning, I am definitely grateful that we can gather together as a church family for the first time on Christmas Day. Now, today being Christmas, we come to the final day of the Advent season. And the final theme in our Advent series that we've been going through, if you recall, for the past month or so, instead of lighting candles like many Protestant tradition, many Protestant churches traditionally do, we've been looking at the various themes, the, the various spiritual truths that are celebrated in the Advent season. The first week, we talked about the hope that Christmas proclaims, the hope that was promised by a God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, even during the fall. The second week, we talked about the, the peace of God that comes with Christ, as prophesied about in the Old Testament. During the third week, of course, we were reminded of the sincere joy that we have the privilege of having as a result of being saved by the advent of Christ. And of course, last week we talked about the, the breadth, the depth, the, the length in which God demonstrates His love for us by sending His Son. Now to close off our series, we will be examining the final theme of Advent, the last candle that many churches will be lighting uh, in celebration of tomorrow and for the holidays. This final candle is sort of the, the summary to all the themes that we've been speaking on in the past few weeks and is in fact the reason as to why we have access to that hope, to that peace, to that joy, to that great love of God. That final candle, that final theme of the Advent season, of course, is Christ, the Christ candle. The fulfillment and the culmination, the tangibility of all the other themes that we've spoken about, those truths that we learned about in the previous weeks, are embodied in the one person, in the one truth, the one reality, the, the reality of Jesus, the Christ. This final theme is meant to celebrate and remind us to, of who Jesus is and his role as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and what his appearing in that role means to us and the rest of the world. And for our short amount of time this Christmas evening, we will be examining exactly who this Christ is that we celebrate, uh, that we celebrated this morning and, and during the holidays, what his advent means for us and, and the world. Tonight, I want to remind you why Jesus is worth celebrating. See, many unbelievers celebrated Christmas as well this morning. I'm sure they delighted in the festivities, the joy, the good, the, the, the good wishes, and the, the well-being, and the, the, the love for thy neighbor that the holidays invoke. Many unbelievers celebrated the holidays, but I imagine none of them celebrated Christ. 
That's like receiving a, a gift on Christmas Day, but not caring to read the card of who gave it to you. And so tonight, I want to read the card. I want to remind us, church, who this gift of hope and, and peace and joy and love is from. The holiday, who, who this holiday season is from. And I want us to recall why the pleasures of the Christmas holiday is only available to the world because of the Christ, Jesus. Jesus. Now, to understand this final theme better, I think it would be good for us to listen to an eyewitness testimony, someone who was actually there during the first advent, someone whose testimony of Christ was credibly on par with someone like John the Baptist or the Apostle Paul. This someone is Simeon. Maybe you've heard about him before, but let me give you a little background on this this man named Simeon, this character that we just read about in our passage, so that we can really grasp why, he, why his testimony is so important and so credible to our understanding of who Jesus is as the Christ. And as we'll see, the more we get to know Simeon, the more trustworthy his testimony is, and the more that we'll realize that this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's, if, you're, if you wanted to identify who the Christ was, this was the guy to ask. A man named Simeon. So let's jump into the scripture and see what he has to say. Someone say jump for me. So firstly, scripture tells us that Simeon was a righteous man and a devout man. We see this in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Now you have to understand, church, that when scripture refers to righteousness, that refers to someone's right standing before God. It is a spiritual standing before God. Hence why Paul, of course, in Romans says, uh, none is righteous, no, not one, right? No one understands, no one seeks for God. Righteousness in scripture is talking about our right standing with God or even the lack thereof. So when scripture explicitly calls someone righteous, Unless stated, it's not speaking of a righteousness by human standards, but rather a spiritual one. One that denotes being justified, declared righteous before the eyes of a holy God. For example, in Genesis 6, it says that Noah was a righteous man because he walked with God, and, and he was, therefore he was justified before God. And as a result, you know the story, he didn't experience the flood. His, him and his family were saved. Now, all of that to say, Simeon here, as scripture we just read, says, Simeon was a righteous man before God, justified in the eyes of God. Someone saved by God's grace even prior to the advent of Christ. He was part of the, the remnant of Jews who, who, who stayed true to the real faith of scripture. He wasn't someone who, who diverged into the, the apostate faith of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, here was a man who who by faith clung to the hope that God would someday send his Messiah, the Christ, to save his people. It's why he was known as well as being a devout man, as we'll see from Simeon's testimony. His view of the coming Christ was grounded in Scripture. His, tem his testimony demonstrates a devotion to Scripture, in fact, and a genuine comprehension of what the Messiah's pur purpose was, his mission 
His view of the Christ was grounded in God's word and not some geopolitical version of the Messiah that the religious elites propagated or or the politically correct Messiah that the Jews wanted, the, the Messiah who would come as a conquering king to destroy Rome and destroy the Gentile nations. No, as we'll see, Simeon's view of, of the Messiah, of the Christ, was from God's revealed word. It also says that he was waiting in anticipation for the advent of the Christ. And, the, and, the, and in fact, the consolation of his people, Israel. The word there for consolation in the original Greek is part. Paraklesin, paraklesin in the original Greek meaning to comfort, to console. Simeon was looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come and reconcile his people, bring healing, bring comfort back to a people who are in distress, the Israelites, and to bring comfort as a result of the things that they had to go through. So Simeon was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting in anticipation. In addition to this, it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him Again, denoting his righteousness, his righteous standing before God. Here was a man who was saved by grace and filled by the Spirit. He was charismatic, no doubt, right? Filled by the Spirit. So much so that, in fact, that it says in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit specifically revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ with his own eyes. This is unique to Simeon, by the way. You don't see this elsewhere in Scripture or, or elsewhere in human history, right? No one else is given this honor or this privilege, right? God, the Holy Spirit specifically tells him that he will not die until he would see the Christ, the Messiah. Imagine that. For 400 years, there was silence. Ever since the book of Malachi was completed, the, the prophet Malachi was done, silence. God didn't speak. And yet here was a man being directly told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until the Christ came in his lifetime. Could you imagine that, by the way? Knowing that you can't die until you saw the Christ, having the Holy Spirit himself assure you that, that's, that's not gonna, uh, that you're not going to die, that your, your, your life is secured until that moment. That would be very complicated to say the least, Right? Your wife would be like, hey, maybe you shouldn't eat that extra fried chicken. It's going to clog your arteries. And Simeon's like, but it won't kill me. Right? It's like you see Simeon like free climbing Mount Zion. And everyone's like, no, Simeon, don't. You could die. Simeon's like, unless I see the Christ on my way up, I won't die. So here was Simeon, righteous, justified before God, devout to God's word, a heart for his people, filled with the Spirit, and told that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. This is the man whose testimony we are listening to. This is the man that is declaring who the Christ is and what the Christ's mission is. It's his testimony that affirms why we have so much to celebrate in the Christmas holidays. So listen to what he says, what he says about the Christ. He says in verse 29, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He knew it. His time had come. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is it. This is, this is what he was living for, what he was hoping for and waiting for. This was the time when the, that the Holy Spirit had told him about God's work of salvation through the advent of the Christ. He is now seeing with his own eyes. 
Now remember what Simeon was waiting for specifically now, right? He was waiting for the consolation or the comforting of his people, the people of Israel. And as he held this newly born Christ in his hands, his heart knew, his eyes saw the salvation of his people. Simeon saw the salvation of Israel, the salvation of Israel. This bouncing new baby Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, of all the promises of God written in Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, that, that God would send a Messiah, the, an anointed one, the Christ, to his people, to save his people. I'm sure the, the synapses in Simeon's brain were, were firing off, recalling the words of the prophet Isaiah, saying, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Simeon would have recalled the 40th chapter of Isaiah and the following verses. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them that, uh, them that are with young Simeon was looking at the comfort that God would send. In fact, the comforter himself, the one whom Isaiah would call the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. In Simeon's hands was nestled the fulfillment of God's promises, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of comfort to console his people. Could you imagine that feeling? Having lived long enough to see the injustices done to your people, the atrocities done to your people. Having waited all your life, hoping and praying in anticipation for the day to draw near when you, see, when you would see the liberation of your people and, and not dying until you, would, until you did so. And now here he was. The one who would bring salvation to Israel, the one who would right the wrongs and, and bring liberation to his people, the one who would bring freedom from oppression, but more importantly, freedom from sin. If your heart has ever broken for our nation, Canada, or even for your own country back home, if your heart has ever been grieved by the news stories of injustices around the world, the corruption happening in various parts of the world, then you could relate to Simeon, I'm sure. You know how he must have felt, a yearning for justice, for salvation. Yet in that moment, in his arms, laid the answer to all the sorrow, all the pain, all the grief in the world over his people everything that his people had experienced, Simeon affirmed the identity of the Christ as the Savior of Israel, the fulfillment of all the promises made by God in the Old Testament to comfort and console the nation, to bring about peace and freedom from sin. And listen, understand that, that this is hope for us today as well. Because just as Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises and of all the prophecies of God in the Old Testament, he is also the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the New Testament. Listen, we too can be like Simeon, waiting in anticipation, waiting with hope, and even more so rejoicing, knowing the, the only one who can bring us comfort, that brings consolation and peace to the nation, has in fact already come. Simeon, until that moment, did not know who, who would be the Messiah, the Christ, who, to bring God's comfort to his people. But we have the privilege of looking back and seeing and knowing that it's Jesus. 
Jesus is our hope for this nation, for our countries of origin. Jesus is the answer to the injustices of the world, the atrocities, the corruptions of the world. He is the assurance of God's promises being fulfilled that someday in the second advent, Christ will return and establish a new, king, a new kingdom, his, his earthly kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin. Jesus in his second advent will right every wrong and establish his rule over the earth. Now until then, we know that his, his, he is our comfort as well in this life. Until his appearing, despite whatever trials that come our way, he is our comfort. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This is why we celebrate Christ in Christmas. Despite whatever is going on in the world, despite all the, the news about the pandemic rising up again and then, you know, back for a vengeance, right? And the, the Omicron variant, you know, whatever it is, sounds like a transformer. All of it. Despite all of that, Christ is our comfort. He's our assurance that there's still hope. That God is in control. That God offers salvation. That peace and joy, that, that life, that, that, that grace is assured to us despite whatever tribulations we might face in this world. Simeon continues... And let's go back to verse 30 of our passage. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This word prepared denotes a connection to the Jewish rituals of animal sacrifices where, where a priest would prepare an unblemished animal, an unblemished lamb to sacrifice to God for the forgiveness of sins. It harkens back, of course, to the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac. If you know that story, Abraham was going to offer his son Isaac to God. But instead, God prepared for Abraham a sacrifice instead. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the unblemished lamb slain before the foundations of the world. That's how far back God prepared the sacrifice on our behalf. Simeon knew what the Christ came to do. And unlike his peers who were expecting a powerful king, Simeon saw the prepared lamb. Then Simeon says something surprising by Jewish standards. He says, a light, in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now this is interesting because this speaks about illumination, a revealing of something, in this case, salvation, specifically salvation for the Gentiles. Something that was absurd to a Jew in Simeon's day, of course. See, you have to understand that even, in the, even the most pious Jew in, in Simeon's day despised Gentiles. They were not a fan of the world. And, and, and remember, even, uh, remember the prophet Jonah. Jonah was willing to run away and disobey God all because he hated the Ninevites whom he was called to preach to. He didn't want to preach repentance to Nineveh because he knew that there was a chance that the people would repent and not have to experience God's wrath. And this was a prophet of God. 
Now, this, this sentiment of hate towards Gentiles was a common thing amongst the Jews. So for Simeon to include this in his testimony, once again, denotes that he wasn't part of that the mainstream Jewish thinking of his day that wanted Gentiles destroyed by the coming Christ. In fact, it is quite the opposite. He declares that the Messiah, the Christ, was to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Simeon testifies that the Gentiles, the world, not just Israel, would be saved. And rightly so, because that's what God's Word promised. Simeon would have recalled, once again, the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He would have recalled Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1 to 6 as well. Uh, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, not just Israel. Simeon in his testimony is just paraphrasing, really, the prophet Isaiah, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. See, though his people did not like this reality, and in fact, they probably outright denied it, Simeon knew that the Christ appeared not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. That's you and me included. To be the savior of the world. And that's a great reminder for us tonight, church, that the Christ, Jesus, came into this world to save you. To save the people, as Isaiah said, who walked in darkness, who dwelt in places of darkness. See, the Jews, although extreme in their their rationale, had reason to hate Gentiles. If you know your biblical history and what happened to them, right, you know why they hated the, the Gentiles. But beyond that, let's, let's be honest, if it were not God working through the people of Israel and, and through the faith of the Jews, right, then the whole world would just be filled with pagans and idolaters and worshipers of self and wealth and demons. That's who we were. As Isaiah said, we were living in darkness in all of its forms. Yet God, in his rich mercies, in his goodness and loving kindness, sends his son to be the prepared lamb, not just for his people, not just for the Israelites, but for the Gentiles, for us as well, a people outside of the Jewish faith. Don't forget that marvelous reality, that privilege that we have now. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter even says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Our faith as believers today is a fulfillment of Simeon's testimony, is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies where people from every tribe and every tongue would come and confess that Christ is Lord. We are the people whom God brought out of darkness into his glorious light. Listen, that's, by the way, the lights we see in Christmas, the lights we see on these trees and that's hanging up here, that's what they come to represent. A reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Simeon testified that the Christ would come into a dark world and illuminate it for all of us. He came to call a people who were not his own and bring freedom from the works of darkness. And listen, Jesus came to be our light, our our way out of the dark places of the world, even today. It it wasn't just an event that took place 2,000-odd years ago. Even the dark places of your life today, the places of shame, places of sin, of regret, of hopelessness, of depression. Jesus is the light, our hope out of those places, our freedom out of those places of darkness. Listen, if if you're here tonight and you've been going through things and you feel like your your life has just been filled with darkness or even death, remember the words of the Apostle John concerning Becoming Christ, that in him was life, and the, and the life was the light of men, only in Christ. Remember this great hope we have, this gift that we by no means deserve because of our sin. Yet God in his mercies chose to save us Gentiles, bringing us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now, it would be great if Simeon's testimony ended there, right? Like, that's the perfect Christmas message. We're done. We can close tonight, and then we can fellowship a little longer, but that's not where it ends. Simeon doesn't end there, and his testimony doesn't end with a good note, actually. Go to verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The fall of many, a sign to be opposed, a sword piercing the soul. These aren't good metaphors. Simeon is not holding anything back. He's telling it how it is, the truth of God's word. He's telling Mary and Joseph what their child will ultimately be to the people of Israel and the rest of the world. See, the Christ would not only be the salvation of Israel, he would not only be the the savior of the world, Jesus is also the stumbling block to many. The stumbling block to many. Simeon is once again recalling the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's talking about the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus would be responsible for why many in Israel would fall and many would rise. He will be the standard by which God judges his people, whether one rises to justification like Simeon or falls to damnation. Not only that, but the Christ would be a symbol, a sign of opposition. Why? Because he would be a symbol of righteousness, a light in the world, a symbol of what is true in a world that hates the truth. He would be a a light, again, to the world in a world that loved the darkness rather than the light. The Christ would be a symbol of everything that fallen humanity rebelled against and hates and rejects. And then finally, Simeon was letting Mary know that this newborn baby that 
that he held in his arms would one day cause her to feel a great grief deep in her soul as a result of seeing him die on the cross for the sins of humanity. This is the full picture of who the Christ was to be and is today, a savior to the world and a stumbling block to many. Paul comes to, this, to a similar conclusion in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foley to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For those who love the darkness who deny the truths of God, Christ would be a stumbling block, meaning something they would refuse to submit to, something they, that would trip them up and lead them ultimately to destruction. But to those who believe, to those who by God's grace have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the Christ would be the manifestation of God's power to save and the embodiment of God's wisdom. See, this is the ultimate reason why Christ came. Why the Christ appeared. He appears to be the dividing line between the sheep and the goat, between the chaff and the wheat. The Christ serves to determine who is for God and who is not. Simeon even says at the end of his testimony, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed in verse 35, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So that the sincerity of faith, or the lack thereof, would be revealed. So that the true worshipers of God would be revealed. So that the sincere and genuine followers of God would be revealed. Our regard for the Lord's Christ is what determines the sincerity of our Christmas celebrations. Listen, if you're not celebrating Christ on Christmas, what are you celebrating then? This is the Christ that we celebrate in the holidays, the Christ who is the salvation of Israel. Everything that the Old Testament prophets prophesied about, the fulfillment of them, all the promises of God fulfilled. He is the Savior of the world, extending His light to all people, people who lived in darkness, have now been invited by the Christ to walk in the light of God. And finally, he is the stumbling block on which many will fall and perish. And the Christmas invitation is clear. In order for us to have that hope that we spoke about, that peace, that joy, that love in the Advent season, we must recognize that Jesus is the Christ. God's provision for our sins and the only one who can save us from death. That's the invitation to recognize the provision that God made, a prepared sacrifice, a lamb before the foundations of the world. Because we could not save ourselves, because we could not help ourselves. And that only by him, only through him, in faith in him, can we be saved. This year, as we come to the end of the Advent celebrations, let us remember the precious gift that God has bestowed on us by his great mercies. A gift that embodies hope, peace, joy, and love. A gift that is only made available through the Christ, the anointed one of God, the prepared spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ.
Christ. Let us also remember that our celebrations of the first advent of Christ does not end with the holidays. In fact, these truths, these celebrations are meant to stir in us a deep longing for the day, the second advent of the Christ, the day where the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come to collect his bride. So until then, church, Let us be like the faithful and righteous Simeon, waiting with hopeful and longing hearts for the advent of our Savior. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you once again. We thank you, oh God, for coming down in human flesh, for giving us the hope that we have, for giving us peace and joy and demonstrating to us your perfect love. We thank you for sending your Christ, your anointed one, your Messiah, O Lord, because we could not save ourselves. We thank you, O Lord, for the work that you have done on our behalf. And I pray, O God, if there is still anyone in this room whose hearts are in rebellion towards you, I pray, O God, that they would submit this Christmas day, this Christmas evening, to you, O Lord, and call you king. Recognize you, Lord Jesus, as their Christ, as their Savior, that they might truly walk out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that freedom from shame and regret and sin and depression and everything else, Lord God, all the works of darkness, would be seen in their lives, Lord. I pray, O God, that Holy Spirit, you would work in the hearts of those who are hearing my voice this evening. And I pray, God, that your gospel would change hearts. Lord, help us wherever we've strayed. Forgive us for making Christmas about ourselves or making Christmas about anything else other than Christ. I pray, O God, that this evening you would fill us with the joy of the season, the joy that comes only with Christ. You remind us, O God, of your faithfulness, of your goodness, to to fulfill your promises of old and how you will fulfill the promises that you've made to us today. God, we look forward to the next advent, the second advent of your Christ where King Jesus will come and collect his bride. And until then, O God, I pray that you would guard your people, keep us from the schemes of the evil one, keep us from the schemes of man, and even our flesh. And God, give us your grace that we might endure. Lord, we say that we love you and we praise you. In Jesus, your mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.